0: I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally.
1: Hey guys, it's Josiah, and before we dive into today's episode, we want to share something exciting with our Young Adults Today fam. On March 4th and 5th, 2022, we will be having our third annual conference. So we want to invite you and your team in person this year to Minneapolis, Minnesota for this opportunity as leaders to rally together with other young adult ministry leaders from across the country. You can find out more details and register today at www.youngadults.today now for today's episode.
0: All right. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to the Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. And like always, I'm joined by my husband and co-host, Josiah. Josiah, how are you feeling today? Doing
1: great. Hey, guys. How are you, babe?
0: I'm doing great. I am so excited for our surprise guest today to really lean in Excuse me to some of his insight and just his I don't know, story that he's able to share with us today.
1: It's incredible. We've been 125 episodes deep into this podcast. So that's two and a half years. And since day one, when we started praying about this. One of the dream guests was our guest today and if you're if you've been listening a while you know that new episodes drop every monday so thanks for mm-hmm. subscribing rating reviewing sharing this content it helps us reach more young leaders with the message of young adults today and we want to welcome pastor levi lusco to the conversation how are you today
2: I'm so good. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on 125 episodes. Well, thank
0: you. We are thrilled to be here and thrilled to have you on the set today.
1: Definitely. And for those of you just tuning in, Pastor Levi Lesko is the founder and lead pastor along with his wife, Jenny, of Fresh Life Church. He's a local church pastor in Montana, Wyoming, Oregon, and Utah. Best-selling author of a number of books like Through the Eyes of Alliance, Swipe Right, I Declare War, Take Your Life Back, and a new one that we're going to talk about a little bit later today. He speaks all across the world, places like Passion Conferences, Mm -hmm. and uh, Jenny and Levi have one son, Lennox, four daughters, and one of whom is in heaven. So we'll hear about Pastor Levi's story Mm -hmm. and the, the audience today, Pastor Levi, is young leaders, people just starting out, maybe fresh mm-hmm. out of an internship or seminary or taking over a college ministry, youth ministry, young adult ministry. And maybe somebody has a dream, but they feel like it went dormant or mm-hmm. delayed or maybe even died because of life circumstances that they're going through it. Maybe they're in the thick of it in the midst of pain, mm-hmm. tragedy, suffering. What encouragement could you start us off strong with by offering them in the midst of that young leader listening in?
2: Sure. Well, what a great question and thanks for having me and thanks for doing this podcast. I know for all the young adults listening, that's a huge um that's a huge win that they have this as a resource. You know, it's hard being young, it's hard, you know, coming up, figuring out, you know, how to how to use all the energy you have the the real, the real funny thing about life is you have all this energy when you have the least wisdom. And then by the time you get the maximum wisdom, you have the least energy, you know? So it's almost this cruel joke that by the time you figure stuff out, sometimes you don't have the, the, the resource of, of life left to use it. Well, and so it's, there's some, there's some, uh, um, truth to that expression youth is wasted on the young. So I think it's really powerful that you guys are, uh, Fighting to give wisdom to people in that season of life so that they don't waste that youth. And I love that people who are older like me, if we will get switched right and pour into the next generation, we're able to then give our wisdom to them. And I think that's maybe why God did it the way he did. You know, he doesn't give one person all the money and all the gifts and all the, you know, opportunities. He gives one person the ability to sow, one person the ability to reap, one person the ability to water, and by spreading it out like that, no one person is indispensable. Everybody gets to play a part. So maybe God gave the people with the wisdom a lack of youth and the people with youth a lack of wisdom so that we would all lean into the power of the body of Christ and share. Yeah. So, so I'm happy to be one small part of that. And in answer to your actual question, um, I think I would be really careful in hastily labeling any dream as dormant or dead or, or anything like that because— You know, a lot of times the first glimpse you get of a dream, you won't really get to see it properly. So, for example, um, in my life at nine years old, I had a dream of pastoring a church one day. But I never could have imagined what it would actually look like when I got up to it. Totally. And, And so I think, you know, Joseph had one glimpse of a dream when he was, you know, a young man. And then it looked very different when he was an old man. And he had no idea in the middle whether the dream was dead or dormant or gone you know it was actually very much happening he was just in prison that was he didn't know that was part of the dream so i guess you know my my hesitancy in encouraging anyone to be like hey fight for a dead dream is that your your dream might be perfectly happening as it's supposed to it just doesn't look like what you actually kind of first thought it was going to look like
0: I think that's so good to not give up on what maybe God has spoken or maybe what God has shown or maybe it's through uh, a word of prophecy or maybe it's through the word of God. And we know that many of our listeners um have a dream to be married, yeah. have a dream to be in a relationship, have a dream to be married yesterday, actually. <laughs> and we know that Paul says marriage is a gift and singleness is a gift. And so we true. know that you wrote the book. It's one of my favorite books to kind of point people to is called Swipe Right. And a lot of our listeners are single, like the desire is there. Some think that they're too old to get married now, or they've missed it. And they're only 25, you know,
1: (laughs) which is a complete
0: lie, right? They feel like they're falling behind. So we know that one of our favorite topics to lean into is relationships and thinking of the swipe right book that you have written. um, What has God taught you about the insight for dating, sex and marriage um, done well in the context of a new Testament, you know, mindset.
2: Mm, So good. Yeah. Funny that you just said that singleness is a gift. And so is marriage. Singleness is just the gift that, uh, it's like when you get that gift and you open it, you're like, thanks. Uh, you like, your teeth, like, Oh, you shouldn't have like, the are like God, yeah, wow. Singleness is a great gift, God, but I hope you kept the receipt because it's right? not a gift I want to keep, you know? Um, or, or like the awkwardest one is like you re gift a gift, but you accidentally like give it to someone who wears it around the person who bought it, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's hard. You know, it's always easier to spot the blessing of a season when you're not in it anymore. So true. Yeah. You know, married people will tell, you know, you like, Hey, like there's, there's a lot of beauty and joy in being single, but when you're in it, it's hard to see it. Just like when you have children that are young, you're, you're tempted to wish they were in school. And then, you know, they get, they get out of the house and you look back and you go, dang, I wish I had those kids still here you know, the age that your young kids are in the, the age, my young kids are in, you know, I'm kind of Jenny and I are interesting because we have an old child who's 16, just about to get her driver's license. And we have a four-year-old who's still sleeping in pull-ups, you know? So it's like, we're kind of like, wow, we're the old parent and we were the young parent. So right. we have the, the luxury now I would say of um, doing it again. Cause we didn't expect to have another child, um, of looking back at, at, at the young season that full where you're stepping on legos where you know you're just never getting sleep nightmares all that stuff and going but there's actually a beauty in it and it goes so fast so i guess i would just say to the single person like marriage and sex if god you know has that in your heart he didn't do that to toy with you yeah. meaning i don't believe god gives the, the calling of celibacy but then still puts a dream of of marriage in your heart. Like God's not screwed up like that, you know what I mean? He, he wouldn't toy with you. So if he's given you that calling, that desire, we can believe that, that he's going to give us the desires of our heart as we delight ourselves in him, as Scripture says. So, you know, Augustine said, "Follow God and do whatever you want." I really believe there's permission in God's will to where, if you're if you're walking with Jesus, if you're you know planted in the local church, if you're doing those things, tithing and praying, all the, all the things we're supposed to be doing, I believe if you still have a desire for marriage, that's from God then, you know, and it's going to happen in his perfect timing. So the only thing I would say is don't open your gifts before Christmas, you know, to to get to settle and compromise. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine how discouraging it would be as a kid if you found where your parents had your presents so open them all up. Christmas Day would just be so depleting. And that marriage, when it comes, it's supposed to be like that, that great joy. So just hold out and it's, it's going to be worth it.
1: I love that you write in Swipe Right, um, now yells louder, but later lasts longer. And I think that what I've noticed, Pastor Levi, from a distance is God's brought you through Mm -hmm. suffering. He has also given you, I think, two extreme gifts that I see as a communicator, you really have depth and substance. Um, There's not a lot of cliches or hype. There's a a true hunger and just an authority. And um, I'm just curious about that. Like, how have you allowed God to develop your voice as a young communicator?
2: Man, such a kind thing to say. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Um, You know, it's been a process. You know, there's been seasons where, like everybody else, I struggle with comparison. You know, Roosevelt, I, I think, was the one who said, Comparison's the thief of joy. Mm-hmm. And there is wow. nothing that will steal your joy faster than looking at someone else. And when I am tempted to, you know, I, 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 I on my best days, appreciate Robert Madu because he's different. Bishop Jakes or Joel Osteen or Stephen Furtick or, you know, whoever I would look at and go, Man, they are amazing, but not compare myself. And when mm-hmm. I can appreciate the differences and and celebrate the gift of God in someone else, it makes me more prone to actually enjoy the gift of God in me. And I think we all have to go through a process of learning to believe that God didn't uh, make a mistake when he gave us the unique gifts of mix and personality and interests he did. And all of it plays a part. Peter's sermons are very different than Paul's. Yeah. John <laughs> is very different than Peter, you know? And I think Peter and John, early on, they kind of compared themselves to each other. I mean, you even see it in John 21, when Jesus rose from the dead and Mary told the disciples, and what does it say? It says, Peter and John ran to the tomb, and then John, who wrote John's gospel, wrote, but John got there first. And you're like, bro. <laughs> Winner. <laughs> Boys, it, this, is not mature, this is not the day for your pranks and foolishness. It's the <laughs> most important day in human history, you know? But But I think that's human nature. So the answer to your question is, it's been a process, but but I've learned to accept that what makes you weird makes you wonderful. And for me, what makes me weird is a, is a love of history. I, I get, I fascinate on, you know, weird little quirky things and, and facts. And and that's just is me. And so I used to kind of maybe try to downplay that. Now I've just said full, run the flag up the flagpole. This is who I am. I'm a dork for Jesus. And that is what it is.
0: We love that you're a dork for Jesus because we were actually at Passion when you had done all that research on the Dust Bowl. Wow. Thinking like what you had thought going into it, you're like, oh, that is not what I thought this whole thing was. You know, this is actually history from the trees to the soil to how everything was laid out. So I appreciate your dorkiness if that's what you want to call it, (laughs) but we know that. Someone
2: told me one day, they're like, (laughs) it was the greatest compliment someone gave me and they go, you know, they go, i realized you're just a nerd, aren't you? And he, was, and, I was, and he didn't mean it mean, he didn't mean it like in a nerd and mean way. He was like, you're a nerd. And I was like, no, you get me. That's exactly what I am. I nerd. I like uh, the Dust Bowl or whatever it is. I just love hyper focusing in on it and then learning the lessons and extracting those things. So that's just kind of, I don't know. I, I just encourage everybody just to not downplay who you are and give Ooh. God glory by, you know, living up to your potential.
0: Well, we know that that's a part of our character, like God gives us those quirks or we find interest or we're drawn to certain aspects of whatever way of learning or whatever we like to learn about to probably accentuate what he has given us. You know, I love to create. So I like to watch HGTV and my husband comes home and there's half a wall torn down. And I'm like, yep, I'm getting creative today. You know, so I'm like, but it's going to go up from demo day to the refurbishing process of furniture. Um, I geek out over that stuff. And then I help other women do that um, same thing. And it becomes a Bible study, you know, or it's fitness. And that becomes us focusing on, spiritually, physically, and emotionally healthy. So we're going to eat healthy. We're going to exercise. And we're going to dive into the word of God, you know? So awesome. if you can leverage what God has given you a passion for, and that becomes a form of ministry, oh my gosh, take advantage. You like to bake. Neighbors like to eat people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we know that as leaders, our character is always being refined mm. and God's really like, pruning some things out of our lives and stuff. And I would just ask the question, Pastor Levi, how should we as leaders invite and allow God to develop our character in this day and age?
2: Yeah, well, great question. I love what you're saying. Um, Someone said once, everybody's a genius. The trick is to figure out what kind of genius you are. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a genius at interior design. You know, I don't have that in me or baking in me but everybody listening can find their own genius. Mark Twain couldn't find his way home. He forgot to wear socks. Most, uh, not Mark Twain, Albert Einstein, Albert Einstein would forget to wear socks. Couldn't find his way home from work, but theory of relativity, he was okay. He was okay at that. So (laughs) I think it was Seth Godin who said, no one's a genius all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think the trick is, is to not try and be a, a generalist, but specialize in the few things you're great at. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, To develop your character in this day and age, um, I would just say beware of the pitfalls of, uh, you know, the things that are going to suck away your focus. Social media, Netflix, these things can be a focus drain. Mm -hmm. And the sun can only start a fire if it's focused by a magnifying glass. Yeah. So your focus, what you focus on is perhaps your greatest... Single um, superpower, but it's diluted in an ocean of of shallowness that at mm. times is where we live. Instagram, right. YouTube, Netflix. It's so easy to never focus to focus on Jesus, to focus on your wife or husband, your friend, your pastor, any you just be, to being present in the moment. So I would just say, if you want to develop your your superpower, if you want to figure out who God made you to be, you, you have to focus.
0: It's so good.
1: That's incredible and encouraging. I feel uplifted already to, to know that God's wired us all uniquely, differently. We do have a superpower and we are a genius in our own way. That's how God designed us. And I think the other side of it, Pastor Levi, what I hear you saying is that you're clearly a lifelong learner. You're always mentioning different studies, or research, or books, and it'd be fun if you throw it in there, a couple of your favorite you know, leadership reads or old dead guy reads. But my question a little off script is I think we can all be lifelong learners and of ourself, of our surroundings, of the spiritual realm. How have you gone about that? Cause not everyone is maybe the bookworm or the nerd, but everyone can be a lifelong learner. So any thoughts insight yeah. on that?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, be curious, you know, curiosity, um, I think it was Bill Gates who said if he had to point to one thing that to, to attribute to his success, it would be his curiosity. He said that he is simply curious. And, and curiosity starts with an admission of ignorance. Think about it. It's actually one of the most humble things you can do to be curious because to be curious is to insinuate that you don't know uh, everything about a subject, therefore, design, baking, whatever. You don't just make the recipe you make. You get curious about. Well, I wonder what if. I don't know. Let's try. Let's see. Can I ask? What can I look? You know, how can I research this? So I think curiosity, and 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 it also means you're willing to, you know, to um, to venture out from what's safe and what's already predictable. You know, and so uh, a lot of people are stopped the moment they you know, feel confused or feel like they're in over their head. And that's how I always feel in a new subject, a new study part of God's word. I start every sermon. Look, my, my wife did the math the other day. She's, she and the teen found out I've preached 1200 different sermons. Wow! So uh, in those 1200 messages, there's a part, in, a, process, a part of the process, every single message where I feel like an idiot. I don't know what this verse says. I don't know what God's trying to say. And I think you yeah. have to just keep pushing through and the way to push through mm-hmm. is curiosity.
0: I think that's so good. That's a great a great thing to lean into. Be curious, but also learn how to ask good questions. That's one thing that we run into with a lot of young adults is they're very curious and they kind of look at you dumbfounded because they can't put words to what they're wanting to ask or how they're wanting to dive into a conversation, whether it's mentoring, whether it's in a, a small group setting. And we're just going to lean into because we are curious about something that you've been working on. And we're going to ask you this next question about the newest book project called The Last Supper on the Moon, which I am so intrigued by. You kind of cringed. Is it finished? No, <laughs>
2: No, I cringe because I'm nervous to talk about it. I haven't you I've been are. working on this for 20 months.
0: Oh and, wow.
2: Uh I've given I've never worked harder on anything in my entire life. And so that was not a cringe, it was a grimace of excitement. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Good. I misread. Yeah.
0: I'm glad you clarified. Can you give uh, us and the listener maybe just a sneak peek into the message and what you hope the reader or listener takes away from this book that you've been working on?
2: Yeah, so um thank you. It is the psalmist who said when i consider your heavens the work of your hands the sun the moon the stars i ask the question what is man that you are mindful of him okay wow. so his looking up at the stars and the moon and the sky caused him to realize some profound implications for for life down below so that is the snapshot and then when you open up my book it's a hardcover book there's a fly leaf on it when you take off the fly leaf in foil on the cover of the black book is that verse from Psalm awesome. 8, right there on the on the cover. And that's because that's where I want to begin. So the book's all about NASA and Apollo, specifically JFK's Moonshot, uh, 1969, July, man steps foot on the moon for the first time. And and it, I start with that, and go throughout. What did it take to get there? What did it take to put man on the moon? How much money did it take? Because it's been called one of the costliest undertakings in history to put man on the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we're going back. Uh, Artemis, NASA—they're still kicking things up. We have more going on in space, arguably now than ever. Yep. Bezos yeah. Bezos and Musk yes. and with yes. uh, with uh, Branson and and the list keeps going on, right? Um, but I think are looking up should cause there to be profound implications for inside. So mm-hmm. like, like David said, I consider the heavens, what is man? So that's where our, the book begins. And the question I ask in it is, what does the exploration of outer space have to teach us about the conquest of inner space? Mm-hmm. Because the reality is for a lot of us, the, the depths of our hearts are just as murky, mysterious and foggy as mm-hmm. and distant as the moon. And our whole lives, we've been able to see the moon, but we've never been able to touch the moon. And so I'm, I'm trying to ask the question, what is for a lot of us out of reach that we all want, but we oftentimes don't have? And that is, I think, happiness, joy, yeah, right. the sense yeah. of I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. It's always yeah. there, but sometimes it's out of reach. So. I believe that just like the Saturn V rocket and the Apollo spacecraft bridged that gap and allowed man to touch the untouchable, so the cross is the launch platform that God has given us to bridge the gap between where we are and where we're meant to be, but we often underutilize it. So that's the book in a nutshell.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm excited to read it because we've read, I think, everything else Mm -hmm. that you've written and found a lot of encouragement, a lot of insight. And I hope that um, we get our copy soon. And I hope that the listener will get their copy soon. I'm fascinated to to just learn from you on that. And (laughs) Pastor Levi, one of our dreams, you could call it maybe our collective dorm dream from when Micah was in college, when I was in college, is reaching the next generation for Christ Mm -hmm. and the generations to come. Young adults, specifically that 18 to 30 year old range. And I know you're passionate about it. Uh, I know you give a lot of your life to the local church and also just the kingdom of God to reach people Mm -hmm. um, through books, through podcasts, through conferences. And what I'd be curious is why do you believe the next generation and things like young adult ministry are so vital and important?
2: Oh man, well, um, there's nothing more important than who's gonna reach our grandchildren. Who's gonna win my grandchildren to Christ, right? So they're not born yet. I, thank God I don't have any any grandchildren yet, but it, it's going to happen. And when wow. one of my kids gets married and starts to have kids and their kids, who's going to win them for Christ? Mm-hmm. And so what I'm doing, if it's it's quite honestly, and I'm not even happy to admit this, uh, it's pragmatically selfish because I'm not necessarily going to be the one to reach my great-grandchildren for Jesus, but I need to ra- raise up and reach the people, hopefully, that will mm-hmm. reach them. And that's what the Bible says we're, we're to do. We're... We're, one generation is to tell another the wonderful works of God. So the young people today who are going to be uh, tr- heralding this good news of the kingdom, that God is no not mad at us, that he's in love with us, that he sent us in to die for us, that there's a feast that is coming that we're all invited to, that news is what we're to run with. That news is what we're to carry. It's a lot better and bigger than living for my glory and for my fame and my mm-hmm. renown. And my glory is weak and sickly and and unhelpful, but God's glory is big and 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 broad and majestic. And so, when we live for His glory and His fame and His name, we're lifted up from the 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 the, the despair of a life lived for ourselves, and we're a part of something bigger. Within that, then is the is the tapestry of of, of legacy and next generation and, and and impact and succession. When Elijah was despairing of his life on the Mount Carmel. God said, there's 7,000 others who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So you go anoint this person, you go anoint this person, you find this person. And then Elisha took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from the sky when he got taken to heaven by a fiery chariot. Yep. What is the first thing we read about Elisha doing? Well, almost immediately he goes to the schools of the prophets. So what is he doing? He's going to Bible colleges. He's going to Christian universities. He's going to, to schools of ministry and he's raising up all these other 7,000 who now needed to be developed. So they're saved, but now they need to be developed. So saved people need to be developed, developed people need to be deployed, deployed. People now need to go back to the beginning and start to save and develop other people. Mm -hmm.
1: Incredible. I'm invigorated by that. That's the whole reason we do this podcast. A big why behind everything we do is exactly what you said. So we're encouraged hearing you say that. And I pray the listener is too, that they'd keep going even on a hard day, even facing challenges in your setting, in your community, in your context, that God has wired you and given you everything you need for a life of godliness. And as we have five minutes left, we just want to tap into five final thoughts. We do these a little bit rapid fire where we got five minutes to work with and five questions. You up for that, Pastor Levi?
2: A hundred percent.
1: Okay. First one's fun and it's tailored to this season of your life. If you were given the shot to go to outer space, the moon, Mars, or just into the orbit, would you take it? And why
2: a hundred percent, uh, why, for all the reasons that I just named. And because it would be the greatest adventure ever, you know, to, to blast off in a, in a rocket, to experience the G forces, to, to, to feel zero G. It would be unbelievable. I would for sure. go.
0: All right. Question number two, this is off, off script, but I saw some of your tattoos. So what is your favorite tattoo and why?
2: Ooh, I thought you were going to ask, what is the most painful place to be tattooed? Um,
0: <laughs> you can answer that uh, if you want to, too, I guess.
2: <laughs> my favorite tattoo, I mean, I have to go, I have an anchor over my heart. Yeah. We have the same anchor, uh, painted on Linnea's casket, our daughter who's in heaven. We had an artist paint it on her casket in black. And then my wife and I both had uh-huh. it tattooed on our hearts. Well, it was on, her, on my wife's arm, actually, my heart, her arm. I would say that one, it was also my first tattoo. So uh, definitely sentimental. That's amazing.
1: Amazing. Thanks for that. How about this? If you could ask Micah and I any one question today.
2: That's the most painful tattoo. Oh, that's across the heart. (laughs) Well, I've heard ribs are worse. I don't have any rib tattoos, but I hear they're very bad.
0: Wow. They just feel like they rattle a little bit. That's all.
2: (laughs) Do you have a rib tattoo?
0: I do. That's
2: (laughs) off.
1: Well, if you could ask us one question, anything, what would it be?
2: Uh, ATM password I'm joking I'm joking um
1: we don't we've uh, never been to an ATM in my life I've never done it Can
2: you have never been to
0: an ATM in your nope. life Don't nope. you have a card or a pin I'm like what do we gonna do if we're in a pickle I don't know <laughs> what
2: what do you do when you need cash
1: very seldom do we need cash I think I think we're on I the take cutting my coffee edge mug
0: and just pull like this no
1: <laughs> I guess we would be the people who go to the bank and like, take out a withdrawal and oh, fill out the For
2: your next sermon, it's a fascinating story about the man who invented the ATM. Ooh, Let's, go. There, Let's go. go. there you go. There you go. Oh, shoot. It, it, it's, it's good preaching, you know, because you look into it, why he did it. He was waiting in line. He's like, this is ridiculous. There should be a better way. Anyhow, it's a good story. But they also say it's one of the worst things that's happened to mankind because Mm -hmm. it killed social interactions. So stuff like that, the the ATM machine, as an example, uh, loneliness is as bad for your health as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, they say, if you're living chronically lonely. And the ATM machine Uh, it used to be when you go to the bank line, you'd stand there in line and talk to the people in front of you and behind you and you chat the breeze. Now people just go to the ATM machine and it's one of a hundred such interactions that has taken away human beings into it. And so it's kind of interesting. Sociologists have had a field day with what are the implications of the ATM machine? Interesting. Oh my
1: gosh. We're having fun today. We
0: are having fun today. So what was
2: the question I would ask you to? Okay. The question I would ask you, um, I would say, what is the greatest piece of advice uh, anyone's ever given to you?
1: Hmm.
0: You want to go first? Sure. I'll do a marriage one. You want to do a personal one? Yeah.
1: Mine, what I was going to say is Brent Silkey was my youth pastor, and he said, Josiah, you're called to ministry. And I I had discovered that call now, but once he found out that he said, be very careful who you marry. Mm -hmm. It'll impact everything else you do in life in ministry. So I think that that was amazing um also billy graham i was five he was 75 mm-hmm. and he said that god had a plan for my life and i believed it so he i'd say it's
2: you in person
1: he from a, the metronome. <laughs>
0: that's the amazing Metrodome. yep,
1: yep. I love and that. so
0: it's so good well, those are
2: very good pieces of advice
1: what about you,
0: babe? Um, I do a marriage advice that we've kind of taken to heart. And it's, I think it's from, is it from Graham?
1: Kirk Graham, maybe. Kirk Graham, I think. Adam it might be from Pastor Leva. I don't know. It might be from
0: you. And it's simply, if you don't date your spouse, the enemy or Satan will try will try to find somebody who will. So leading with intentionality in marriage, leading alongside your spouse, being intentional with date nights, um, deep, meaningful conversations, getaways, whatever that looks like, coffee dates, dinner, whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah that's what I would say is one of the Both best very good pieces of advice thank you for so, sharing
2: those with me yes thanks
1: for asking um, and right. finding out about the ATM too is my turn? Question number your turn.
0: Four? okay the question number four if you would be willing to just tell us an embarrassing moment or epic failure in like ministry from a stage um would you be able to share that with our listener and we ask this because we have so many young people listening we like to learn from people who are older and wiser and something you can laugh at now maybe <laughs>
2: Uh yes. Uh I was preaching once and um I was trying to say the disciples only ever asked Jesus to teach them one thing. So there's only one time in Jesus' ministry when the disciples said, Will you teach us how to? And of course the answer is they asked will you teach us how to pray? And I was trying to say an example of like five or six silly things they never asked him to do. Like they never asked him to teach him to tie their shoes. They never asked him to teach him how to eat sushi. They never asked him. And I was going to say, they never asked Jesus to teach them how to ride a horse. But somehow, as I was saying it, my, my mind, my words just got crossed up. And I said, uh, the disciples never asked Jesus to teach them how to ride a cowboy. <laughs> and I said that and the moment oh, no. it was out of my mouth. I was like, why did you say that? The room starts laughing like a roar of laughter. And then of course everyone could tell I was embarrassed. It took me so long to recover from that. And it was oh just so God. bizarre, like that it came out of my mouth. And you know, I think about that often. Oh, that is <laughs> oh true. They did never ask Jesus to teach them how to ride a cowboy. <laughs> it's So I stand by it.
0: There you go,
1: there you go. <laughs> well, thanks for going there. We admire you. And I think that that's a part of just, Followable leaders is the willingness to admit when because we all walk with a limp. We're all authentic. We're all aware, and we're all vulnerable. But we're as all we,
2: human, we're all human beings yeah. who do, who say stupid stuff. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. It's true.
1: What about if you could share one piece of advice or piece of encouragement with a room full of college pastors and young adult ministry leaders? You were given the mic. What would you leave them with today?
2: Yeah, I guess I would just say you know the more you project yourself into the future, the wiser you'll be in the present. Mm-hmm. So David said, God, teach me to know my end. Give me a heart of wisdom. So he said, God, help me to remember what I'm going to feel like in my hospital bed when I am taking my last breath wow. and my family's gathered around. you know." So he, And then he said, the, the more I do that, the more wiser I'll be. So I guess I was telling my wife the other day, I said, man, I wish I could redo my college years. I wish I could redo college. And and then she goes, really? I go, yeah, but not as I was then. I wish I could redo it as I am now. Yeah. So if I could go back to Bible college and that whole period of my life and do it knowing what I know now, but, but, but do it then I would do it. You know, I, I, I would just, I would get more out of it, I think, because mm-hmm. I would understand, you know, to not be distracted by like caring what's happening Friday night, you know, and not, mm-hmm. you know, feeling like if i'm just and i i I actually did it a lot in college where i stayed in and just read and didn't go out didn't go surfing didn't go to a movie i mean i did i did some and but every time i did it i always like had this ambivalence in my heart like maybe i made a mistake i should be out there whatever and i just think i would give myself permission more to just stay back and read and not care you know because now i'm like Mm. now that i'm 39 and like that's the definition of a good evening you know it's not going out it's staying in so I, i guess i would just tell the young adults now, like. I'm not telling you don't go out. I'm not telling you stay in. I'm telling you just ask yourself, like play yourself into your thirties. What do you want that to do? like play yourself into your forties and realize it's what you do now that's going to determine who you end up then. And so that'll just give you wisdom.
0: It's so incredible, good. Great note incredible.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Pastor Levi. We just believe that if there's one thing we would love to give the next generation. It's wisdom. christ-like wisdom, godly wisdom. And you just did that. So we just want to say thanks and so if much. There was a
2: second piece, it would be, you know, start a savings account, start a retirement account, put some money into the stock market now. Don't wait till you're 40. You know, even if it's five dollars a paycheck, five dollars. Open up a little, you know, Charles Schwab retirement account, whatever. Throw five bucks a week in there. You're like, but Levi, I'm 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 barely surviving now. You can figure out five bucks. Yeah, you know, and if if you do those things now tithing now saving now you know investing now retire a retirement account when you're 20 exactly do it now and then you'll be your 60-year-old self will thank you that you're not trying to catch up at 40
1: wow
0: unless we reach some crazy currency like bitcoin in a different form in the, the next future one. right the, the next, next
2: one, one. <laughs> i don't know about Only all that i i just knows. pretty <laughs> basic pretty you know normal stuff but mutual funds that sort of stuff
0: Well, we love that insight. And we just want to thank you so much, Pastor Levi, once again. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. You can find out more about Pastor Levi Lesko, Fresh Life Church, and his latest books when you connect with us at our website at Young Adults Today, as well as any other social media platforms. Have a great day. This is Micah and Josiah signing off.
1: And pick up a copy of The Last Supper on the Moon.
0: Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate and review this podcast.
1: Plug me in. I'm all wired up right now. Plug me in. I'm getting up right now. Yeah.